Terry Gross says, tell me about yourself is the only icebreaker you'll ever need. Well, Terry, I'm glad you asked. I'm a family man who hosts the fake internet radio show and sells homes for free. I love my wife and tolerate my kids, though I'll do anything for them, up to and including tossing aside years of prime earning power, according to the Social Security Administration, to be in a position to experience all of those little moments that can never be brought back, let alone bought at all. So today, I'd like to talk about releasing time, blowing off steam, and busting trusts as we under-promise and over-deliver more joshing around. To help increase awareness and grow the audience of the show, I'm sponsoring a new coding competition for dogs. It's called Kibbles and Bits, and to get the little canine coders more involved, we've changed the user interface system a little bit so that the keyboard is actually sniff activated. I'm really excited to see what they come up with. Hopefully Kibbles and Bits is a huge success. Being home to school-aged children, it's science fair season around my house. This year's project was what makes farts smell worse. The hypothesis was Arby's, but it turns out the answer's closer to broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. When you Google what makes farts smell worse, you find that foul smells just mean the carbohydrates you consume are being malabsorbed. It's fermented. Ironically, the healthier the food you eat, the worse the smell. When we feed the bacteria in our gut high-protein foods, they produce a sulfur gas, which makes your farts noxious. I'll tell you, I cringed a little bit when I googled what makes farts smell worse, but it was all worth it to see the picture that comes up at the top of the fold associated with this particular search query. Along the lines of fermentation, this year's science fair project was actually about feeding yeast to watch it grow. Did you know yeast was a fungi? While I was just an advisor to this project, it was partially inspired by a fungi I went to college with who was ever the hobbyist. One semester, he got into brewing beer, and at the end of the cycle, he hosted a party so we could sample all his handiwork. The beers were okay, but I'll never forget the first top he popped. The beer started to foam out of the top, not spraying to the ceiling, but just enough that it came up over the side and continued that way, not for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, but for the rest of the party, I'm told it went on until the morning, until that overcarbonated beer was finally emptied and simmered. This is similar but different to the time I worked at a grocery store as a bag technician, ensuring the safe transportation of consumer goods, when all of a sudden, a display of two liter sodas stacked tall to the ceiling had a rupture in one of the tops on the bottles of pop. As it was my job to grab the mop bucket, we've heard those stories before, I went that way and the soda continued to spray its geyser while I was able to put up the warning wet floor signs and then bring my mop bucket all before this soda spray stopped. It's pretty amazing if you ask me. So far this has nothing to do with science, technology, engineering, or math, though I do feel a good STEM-based education is best. The only question, though, is how did art find its way into the acronym, taking it from STEM to STEAM? However it happened, I'm pretty steamed about it. In fact, I think it's time we suggest A, get the F on. I need to offer a correction for something mentioned on the Talking Turkey episode when I said that businesses conspire to control costs in an order to keep prices low. And in fact, it's quite the opposite antitrust legislation is in place so that businesses can't conspire to keep prices high. In fact, 
though Ocean Spray and other farmers are exempt from antitrust legislation, America has been built on the idea of trust busting. However, the last 40 years of propaganda and conditioning have us convinced that megacorporations with king-like powers are a good thing. How do you indoctrinate people? Well, you start young, so it's no mistake the game of monopoly is forced upon us in so many ways. Aside from training children to grow up to be rich Uncle Pennybags, squeezing everyone in town for their last cent in rent, conditioning plays a part in making kids the adults they grow up to be. Now, you could move your kids out to sea and decide that they'll never see anything on TV, let alone read a dirty magazine, but sooner or later they're going to get back into a society unless your goal is to keep them isolated forever. See, once you've created this perfect utopian person, then place them back into the uh, conscripts of daily American life, they're going to fall prey to the first bells and whistles and flashing lights they see once you set them free. In addition to raising scholarly students, one of my goals as a parent is to ensure my kids become cagey and street smart, adhering to life's unwritten rules. As for one of those unwritten rules, always be sure your drug dealer is cooler than you are. That way you know you're getting the good stuff. Because if you can't stand to be around this person, who's to say those higher up the food chain can as well? That said, these days everything's retail. In fact, I just left a Black Friday sale at the dispensary. So I guess we're making progress. The holidays are here, and that means the smell of Chex Mix is in the air throughout kitchens across the country. My wife told someone she was making a batch and I think they were punking her when they replied, what's Chex Mix? Well, she said, it's a dry cereal mixed with nuts and bagel chips, then smothered in butter and Worcestershire sauce, topped with spices, and baked in the oven. Mmm, that sounds delicious, they said. So she sent them a picture of the final product, at which point they responded, that looks good, but what are the little waffle things? <laughs> what? Those are the Chex. I swear they were putting her on. Just like my friend in college convinced someone late night at a party that he didn't know what bowling was. You should have seen the look on this inebriated partygoer's face as he tried to explain what bowling was by starting, you go to an alley. An alley? Like a street? No, no, it's a bowling alley. Okay, what do you do there? Well, you throw a ball at some pins. Wait, pins like you write with? No, no, they're bowling pins. This went on for a good 15 to 20 minutes probably some of the best party experience I've ever had in my life. As I mentioned before, the show was on hiatus for a minute as I moved through the interview process for a major entertainment corporation, only to receive an email from Do Not Reply at telling me they'd chosen other candidates. Oh well, at least I had closure. All the while, listenership of the show increased exponentially during the blackout. I can only imagine it was the hiring directors and human resources listening and laughing and telling others, you gotta hear this, this guy's so funny and totally unhirable. I can only imagine similar discussions were had at the FDA over the product Salvia as they passed it around the table smoking some, laughing uncontrollably, saying this has to be illegal. <laughs> Amazingly, it's not. Though illegal in Italy, Australia, Spain, and many countries around the world, you can still acquire Salvia at many health food stores in the United States or grow your own. If you're not familiar, Salvia... Divnorum is a plant species with transient psychoactive properties when its leaves are consumed by chewing, smoking, or as a tea. The leaves contain opioid-like compounds that induce hallucinations. 
Uh-oh, don't let Purdue Pharma or members of the Sackler family know that this relative of the mint plant produces opioid-like properties that could compete with their product, OxyContin. Since its release in 1995, OxyContin has generated over $35 billion in sales, generating upwards of $17 billion in wealth for the Sackler family, who wholly own Purdue Pharma. I know. How members of one family could become such huge drug dealers is beyond me, but it seems it was all on the backs of some pretty flimsy research. Since the Bear Corporation stopped producing heroin in 1916, it looks like the product oxycodone has been manufactured. In fact, Hitler was rumored to be injected with it. But now, thanks to the profits made by one family, we've got an opioid epidemic that is tearing this country down. What do I know, though? I've never tried the stuff, just like I've never seen the movie Titanic. I know how it ends, so why invest the time? To tie two themes of today's show together, another kid I knew in college was actually raised on a sailboat, and community college was his first taste of freedom away from his parents in the open sea. So what happened? Well, naturally, he got hooked on Oxycontin real hard, real fast. Among other things, the pills gave him the ability to partake in his favorite hobby, which he called bush jumping. That's where he'd run real fast into our apartment complex's hedges and then jump into them, turned like a pole vaulter, only to disappear deep within the shrubs and come out full of thorns, leaves, and cuts of all kinds. Luckily enough, he was finally able to kick the habit, and today he's a skydiving instructor. Another neighbor in the Gainesville apartments of Casablanca East was a kickboxer, and if anybody needed the Oxycontin, it was him. I arose to find him one morning the day after a big fight, looking more bruised than fruit from a discount produce store. Certainly more of a beating than any bush could provide, but nonetheless, he was all clean. The benefit to having a kickboxing neighbor? Well, sometimes at parties, he'd break out his ninja gear so we could throw Chinese stars into the fence or swing samurai swords at rotting vegetables. The best thing we ever struck with the samurai swords, though, was a plastic patio chair. When the neighbor took it and right down the middle of the chair. It stayed in place for just a second until slowly falling into two separate parts. Finally today, I want to offer a Lifetime Achievement Award to the old ladies featured in the Denny's ads of the late 80s. You might remember these commercials where one old lady on the brink of senility wants to go to the restaurant but can't quite remember its name, so she keeps insisting they have lunch at Lenny's. That's when her other old friends, still of sound body and mind, tells her it's not Lenny's, it's Denny's. They squabble for a time, a solid offer on a Grand Slam breakfast is made, and the commercial finally ends with a frumpy old lady face and a Denny's logo. You know, the late 80s was really a renaissance for old ladies, from Barbara Bush to the Golden Girls, all the way down to Maxine from Shoebox Cards. I suppose I shouldn't jest. We're all getting older each and every day. In fact, that's what just transpired over these past few moments. We've all gotten a little better with age. With that, let's end the show while fake radio's still all the rage. Now, get some fresh air while experimenting with reality. Though even our conditioning has been conditioned, at least we've engaged our ignition enough to make it past go. Gain steam, and remember, as art imitates life, everything stems from somewhere. Unless you intend to break wind into your sails and set off, Stay smart on the streets until once again we meet to mix up some more joshing around.